and six. Here we go again. Take two. <laughs> Guess what happens when two comically busy people sit down to record their podcast for the first time in more than three months? I don't really know how to explain what happened, so I can't respond to that. Colossal uh, recording error. Basically, something's wrong Super with annoying. one of our microphones. Given that they are very expensive and made in Australia, I don't appreciate that. that I think not it's. Working. I think it's actually the cord. I don't oh, really know the USB. But that doesn't make any sense because a digital signal should be a digital signal. There should be no analog disturbance from a digital. I did like signal. a weird snort at the beginning. Do you think that's going to be in it of this show? Yeah. Like, do no, because think... I've already removed it. You're really going to bother removing it? We'll see if it's still there or not. Okay. I mean, <laughs> let's see how disgusting anyway, it sounds. Anyway, um, long story short, we taped for an hour, which is the second funny part, because that's maybe our longest show of and all time. And I thought, I thought it was a and pretty good show. It was a pretty good show. So there's no way we're going to top it. No, no, no. But let's... we're back. It's uh... At least this will be more efficient. We know what we want to we... talk about. Yeah. It's Sunday night, April 24th. It's the end of spring. Earlier when we were taping, and this is the last time I'll do this, maybe, we had the window open. It was today's the only nice spring day of the year in New York City. Tomorrow will be... Actually, tomorrow is going to be fine, too. But theoretically, the rest of the week will suck, and then it'll be 95 degrees. But um, we've been on the road a lot. We've been traveling a bunch. And we basically haven't been here since January. Yeah, for like more than one weekend in a row. Yeah. So, sorry. We tried. We'll figure it out. Um, but we've done a lot of interesting stuff since then. Yes. Uh, I have a new job. It takes me to California a lot. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. And one of the things we, um, one of the things that happened since we last spoke is that i've been to san francisco twice and lauren came once and wrote a really interesting article about it so yeah it was basically about the fashion retail consumer industry scene in san francisco or in the bay area yeah so i was was there this week Mm -hmm. and um saw a lot of you know, I saw a guy in the Apple, uh, the, the line for the Apple bus wearing a members only jacket. That was kind of funny. Chic. Chic. But other than that, it was still a lot of uh, athleisure and, I don't know, Gap? No. What are, what? No. No. Banana Levi's, Republic. banana. Yeah, a lot of banana. Yeah. But what's going on there? Tell me about your, your piece because so, it was really good. So I sent I- it to a bunch of people and they really liked it. Thank you. I'm very proud that you thought it was good enough to send to people who live there and and experience it. So thank you. Um, (laughs) uh, So basically there's all this money there. If you look at the art world, it's kind of parallel to this. So if you look at New York or L.A., People have really big art scenes. A lot of artists have lived in L.A. for a really, really long time. In the last 30 years or so, I'd say... The art scene there, like in terms of galleries and stuff, has gotten really important. Plus, there are big cultural institutions, yada, yada, yada. 
There's always been a lot of money in San Francisco, but San Francisco is an extremely small town. I think now there are eight or 900,000 people that live there, but for years it was 600,000. That's only in the last, you know, I think four or five years that it's, it's I think it's 800,000 now because there are no more people that can fit there. It's, it's a really, really small. And they small. refuse to build upwards. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so it's a small town, but there's always been a lot of money there, even before everything that happened in Silicon Valley in the last 20 years. There's always been a lot of money. But it's a city that is driven by something different than New York um, and a lot of or, – or Paris or London or Los Angeles. And I think that the difference is, especially with this new – kind of crop of wealth of wealthy people is that they believe that their wealth is connected to like, can can we, yeah. Um, think there is, I always come back to the word altruism, but I think that essentially we were talking about this before, but you know, the Bill Gates of the world do a lot of good with their money, but now the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world believe that the product that they make can do good. So whereas Bill Gates probably wasn't thinking that like the Microsoft Windows platform was, you know, a driver of social change, Mark Zuckerberg believes that Facebook is. And he, I mean, Bill Gates might have believed that, but it wasn't as pronounced. It's a a big thing now that people out there and these big companies really believe that they're changing the world. And so to be interested in something like fashion, no matter how many billions of dollars you have, perhaps seems um, superficial. And the issue is that you know, first of all, and a good example, a woman who works for one of the big um, malls in Silicon Valley said, you know, people will drive a Prius and then they'll have a $6 million home, which I'm assuming in a lot of places in Silicon Valley isn't even that big of a house. Still but, pretty nice, though. But, um, and I, and... And, this, and they'll wear, you know, sweat sweatsuit. Sweatsuit, ah! you yeah. know. Yeah, Ralph does not like that. Um yeah, so it's the hoodie mentality. It goes back to like bro, bro grammars. It's that whole idea that like I don't, I shouldn't be paying attention to what clothing I'm wearing. All right, I got and, this shirt for free at work. Yeah, and I'll get another one next week. Because what I'm working on is way more important and We're changing the world. Changing the world, and so the interesting. I mean, there's a similar um, thing in DC, um, but the. I think the difference is most people in D.C. don't have billions of dollars or even millions. They're not making the kind of money that people in, I mean, I guess lobbyists are. But, you know, it's just, it's a little different. But it's a similar thing. Like, to ha- show an interest in fashion is not um, something that I think is generally accepted. That's changing a little bit. And I think that has to do with... Um, the emphasis on design and the success of Apple really more than anything because it's such a design-driven company and, and it's something that the fashion world admires where 
you know, tech companies are often pulling from from fashion, which Apple has done too. They've hired tons of tons of fashion people to to run parts of their business. But um, there are very few tech companies that the fashion world admires aesthetically. There are things about tech companies that the fashion world likes and is trying to kind of pull into the way they run their business. But in terms of, you know, what a, a company should look like aesthetically, there aren't many that the fashion world admires or what have you. But Apple is a little bit different. And if you look at something like the last five years of, of big startups that have come up, Airbnb is a good example of something that's super design-driven. Um, also, I mean... But is that driving fashion? No, but the idea, I, the the point I was trying to make is that there is a more of an emphasis on good design now. in San Francisco, in San Francisco, yeah, and definitely. in Silicon Valley, and so that can lead to a more of an interest in personal design and personal aesthetic as well. And you do see this, and I talk to a lot of VCs, mostly female VCs, but I also talk to some male VCs, some of them have worked in retail or fashion, so they have a different, a little bit of a different point of view. But then also we were talking about earlier, um, like Jack Dorsey is a good example of a really design conscious CEO or, or ex- not even CEO, but just like Silicon Valley executive. Who- he's, he's a figurehead who's hit it big and he's everyone looks up to him right now. And he also happens to be he happens to care about his the way he looks, what he's wearing. Yeah, like he, he has wears interest in fashion. And there have been you know dozens of stories on these thousand dollar sneakers he owns, Rick Owens sneakers. That's not a brand that you know a random person is going to walk into Barney's and buy thousand dollar Rick Owens sneakers. He knows who Rick Owens is. You buy if you if you buy something from Rick Owens, you probably know who. That's a random person is not going into Barney's. No, in that. No, um, they will. Barney's just opened an individual men's store in, in San Francisco. In oh, yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, it's. I think that was more not necessarily connected to um, n- more of a demand, but just like real estate space. I just think their store mm. was too small. But um, a lot of luxury brands that have opened in San Francisco do start with men's first and then they expand into women's. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because San Francisco proper has a huge social scene and they, there are a lot of galas and things like that. And a lot of these women have been buying really expensive things forever. We were, you know, I feel like I'm repeating myself because I am, Um, but you know, Oscar de la Renta, that's one of their biggest markets and it has been for forever because there's always been, you know, a lot of, um, fundraisers and galas and things like that. And that goes back to that, like doing social good thing. That's always been a part of the, the Bay area culture. Um, and so a lot of these big, you know, CEOs and tech guys and VCs, feel do feel the need to like look presentable at these events so they i i talked to one guy who's a stylist for a lot of them um but they don't want to look like they still don't want to know and they don't want to look like they made an effort they just want to look good enough that 
they look appropriate for the event, but they don't want to look like they have an interest. And many of them don't, but the thing is that in what is as as a fashion writer who doesn't just write, you know, magazine, I mean, catalog copy. The thing that's really frustrating to me about that whole idea that being interested in fashion is superficial or what have you is that fashion is the only art out of all these arts that we think about quite a lot, like film and and television and music and um, and fine art is it's the only really applied art in that you have to wear. Like, no matter what, you have to make a decision about your clothes. That might mean that you wear the same exact thing every single day. That might mean that you don't, that you purposely don't put effort, quote unquote, into it. So, like, you just throw on whatever the first top is in your drawer or what have you. But you have to make a decision. You have to participate. And I actually think that makes people really uncomfortable because it's not something that you can hide you can't hide your your what you're wearing. <laughs> you just can't. Like it's everyone's going to see it. So because you can't hide it, I think it brings out a lot of insecurities in people. And so in a culture where, you know, you're there are all these, you know, engineers and like socially awkward people to be honest, like men and women, of course fashion is going to be a weird um a sensitive point. When I've t- I talked to some female executives and VCs and they really feel like it's changing and like showing an interest in fashion is okay. But I think that there's still, um, quite a bit of ways to go for San Francisco and, 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 but also just like tech culture in general. What are there any new stores opening or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, so there's um there's a really great men's store called Mass and Stacks, which um sells a lot of designers that you wouldn't expect to see in San Francisco, like Craig Green and uh, you know a couple Russian designers, and. I talked to them for this story and they have a really interesting mix of people coming in and buying stuff and they're selling stuff that you wouldn't imagine in that sea of sweatshirts to sell. Like Craig Green is not um is not an easy designer for some bro to wear. Is. I I really like his stuff. You what probably it? like it. He's this British designer. The thing that he's kind of done the best with are these puffer like jackets with strings hanging from them i really like i I want to wear it it. i don't know it's advanced let's just say that for for menswear it's very advanced advanced menswear um but you know it's selling well and then there's um a a former vogue editor named emily holt who's opening a store this summer called hero shop and she is from the bay area moved back a couple of years ago she raised money to open the store all of our investors are women who live in the area. Some of them, 
you know, are executives. Some of them are wives of executives, but they all really wanted another store. There are a lot, there's a lot of room for independent retail. It's just because, because of the way San Francisco in particular is set up, you can't, um, like a Barney's couldn't set up in one of the small neighborhoods. All the big retailers are downtown. So there is room in the other neighborhoods for, for new retail. The, the fear of course is like, what is the demand? San Francisco is a pretty small city. You know, these people shop on at a Porte a lot. They're not a lot of these women. Marissa Meyer is supposedly a really big net a Porte um, shopper. Like most of them are shopping online. They don't really have time, that sort of thing. But what Emily's yeah, the doing, store, like I would try to go to union made my favorite yeah. menswear store in San Francisco and it closes at like seven or eight. Which if you're, if you're commuting, if you're reverse commuting from the Valley, that's not helpful. Right. Um, but Emily is opening the shop kind of near where Twitter and Uber are near mid market near the Tenderloin. And She's going to sell brands that aren't sold in San Francisco very much, like Creatures of the Wind, um, Gabriella Hurst. And these are brands that, you know, they're not like super avant-garde. A lot, there are a couple um, stores. There's one called Susan that sells kind of all the really good designer stuff. There's another one called, um, oh man, I forget what it's called. I want to say it's called something like APC or something like that. It's not APC. It's, um, I, I, it's the name is, is I'm forgetting it right now, but, um, they sell like Comme des Garçons and, and Marnie and things like that. She's kind of bringing in a new generation of designers that you might be able to get a couple things at Barney's downtown, but this is going to be, for her and her peers. And I think that's interesting. And I hope it does well for her. I think, you know, when I'm, I'm in San Francisco with you or, you know, my mom used to live there. There's not a lot of places to kind of walk around and shop. And, um, while online is, you know, more and more important every day, there is still a place for physical retail. And, um, it'll be interesting to see how it does. If, if she can get a couple really great clients that spend, you know, five figures a month or six, you know, sometimes six figures, she might be fine because that is really those, those stores. That's kind of the, the, um, the way it works is like, it's those really big ticket customers who, who spend, I just was talking to someone who told me that there's a woman who spends 50 grand a month at Bergdorf Goodman. Can you believe that? Awesome. Is it you? N- no. JK. Um, I mean, what about like super, fa- super fancy luxury stuff? Is that been a market there or no? Yeah. So Hermes is opening a store in Palo Alto and the big, there are two really big, um, malls or they would prefer to be called shopping centers. There's one, uh, called the Stanford Shopping Center, and that one's kind of the really big one. It's on the border of Palo Alto, and another. It's so big it crosses over. And um, what's the other town up there? Mountain View, Menlo Park. Menlo Park, I mm. think they. It's kind of is that possible? I don't know. Um, Probably. But they have all the really big stores and department stores, and then there's one called Valley Fair, in um. Maybe that's the one that crosses the border. One of them crosses a border. So 
Valley Fair used to just be kind of standard mall, and then the last five years or so, it's gone really, really upscale. So, um, yeah, there's there's room. I mean, there are also a lot of brands that have opened in San Francisco who opened in the 2000s in San Francisco and closed after the recession. And so it's not an easy market. It's definitely something that people go in and out. It's not... um, the easiest thing ever. But right now, a lot of stores, Isabel Marant, either just open or open there. Rick Owens, Jack Dorsey's friend, um, just opened there. So there is... Is there an APC there? Because I tend to think you know of what? There actually isn't. cities as APC cities or non-APC cities. But the cities. thing is, wouldn't you, you know why there's not? Because the real estate's so expensive. He He doesn't like to spend money on real estate. Well, and like, where would it go? It would probably be... In the mission. Yeah. But he doesn't want to spend money on real estate. But they're actually, you're right. Like, there really isn't a place that's equivalent to a Williamsburg in terms of the mission's really expensive to live there, but there aren't like a ton of great shops or anything like that. Like, there's nothing that's super, um, there's not like a cluster of really great stuff anywhere or, or down by Union Made. Yeah. You know. True. Oh, well, cool. Well, that was a but great it's article. Interesting, and it'll be interesting to see how it develops, especially now as things are getting weird there, and and um, you know, there's less funding happening, and a lot of these businesses, I'm assuming, will close. The ones that haven't made money. It'll be interesting to see how many of those luxury brands that have opened recently in the last couple of years will stick around, and also. You know, as design becomes more and more important to consumer-facing brands, whether that will kind of be reflected in the way people dress there. I mean, I interviewed um, the CEO of Everlane for the story, and someone else who I interviewed said, well, Everlane is kind of exemplifies what fashion means in San Francisco and that it's, like, very utilitarian. Um, But I think, you know, his design team is based in New York, and that says something. Oh really? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, speaking of aesthetics, I've been flying a bunch, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting was the the were the subtle differences between American Airlines and and Delta. Yeah. Um, for those who don't, uh, for those who are not following closely in my frequent flyer status status. Um, basically for the last like six years, we've been flying almost exclusively on American it's longer than six, maybe 10, 10 since I moved here Yeah, and, um, had good status there, really liked it. But now I have a new job where I have a corporate travel policy that requires I fly the cheapest flight that's reasonable. That makes sense. Um, timing wise. And so I found myself on Delta a lot, which is really you know, yeah. similar to American in size. I think American is now a little bigger since they bought U.S. Air. But after you fly the same airline basically, you know, a dozen times for 10 years. Yeah. And pretty much only that airline, except for a few like random, you know, JetBlue or Southwest, which are super different. Um, it's very strange being in another big airline that has millions of of, of its own dedicated flyers. Yeah. Like, 
the typography is different, you know, obviously in the logo, but like even on the plane and it's, you know, you're still on the same 757 that American has, um, you know, with a slightly different layout. Yeah. But it totally feels like you're on a different planet. It's super weird. Yeah. Um, it, you know, American's based in Dallas and Delta's Atlanta-based and it almost feels like there's a different kind of hick aboard. Like the... the no- as opposed yeah. to the jolly like Texan, it's like a weirder southeastern type of of, of uh, southern gentleman. I don't, I don't think there are many hicks in in um in Texas though. Okay. I don't really think of Texas as a hick place. Really? No. Oh, all right. I, Texas is not not part of the South to me. I mean, it is, but it's not. I don't think you've been to Texas. I've been to Austin. You've been to Austin. But That's, it's like count. a weird place. Have you been? Anyway, where have different you been kind in of Texas? Hick. I've been, I've driven through lots of Texas, although I would not consider myself an expert. But, um, and it's super weird. And uh, I'm not sure. It's just a strange, it's a very strange feeling. I'm still, it's still uh, soaking in. So I'm, I'm at some point probably going to write something about it because I just think it's really interesting in this age of, uh, although I would say airline loyalty is going into the toilet, especially as they, uh, especially as they've all kind of really devalued their their frequent flyer miles and all that kind of stuff. Like we used to fly all those flights on American, so we would earn miles that we thought were valuable, and we would exchange them for free trips. And we we did quite a bit. We went to Japan a few times. We went um, to other places it really makes me sad because i feel like i've said to you that i have even when i wasn't freelancing i would like pay the difference if i go somewhere for work i'll often be like i'm gonna take american and i'll just expense the difference because i and and show screenshots of what it was yeah on delta or wherever and I know that's not an easy thing to do when you're dealing with like a corporate travel thing, but I I feel like also now there it's not really even there's not really a point to it. Right. So American like used to have until this month or like last month had by far the best value of loyalty programs and now has also switched it um so that it's not as nearly as good of a value as it used to be. Yeah, that's so, really unfortunate. Well, it's just a, it's reality. I mean, the the uh, division of wealth in the air is just as strong as it is on the ground. If you're not paying a ton of money to to pay to fly business class, um, you're getting squeezed in every way possible. So Delta and American now both have kind of equally mediocre frequent flyer programs, and um, and also like the way that our billing system works. I'm not going to go through the hassle of trying to pay the difference or something are you like gonna try gonna to like just do both now? i don't know i'm not sure it's a, i'm in a weird place which is why i thought i'd talk talk about it because beyond the like simple aesthetic differences and things like delta has a lame they have better funny, wi-fi uh, they do have better wi-fi the flight back from san francisco to and from this week had um satellite based wi-fi which which was faster although the super fast one is not coming until later um, and you said they give you ice cream? You get an ice cream bar. It's pretty pretty nice. Yeah. have not experienced that on American. But, where, but there were zero salads for purchase. And then we flew, when we flew back from Mexico City, that was Delta, right? Yeah. And they gave you an apple. 
Oh yeah, my gluten-free meal on the yeah, uh, I mean, I Mexico didn't even City eat flight the meal. was an apple. It didn't. A single they apple. Don't, I don't know why there was a, a meal on there. It's only probably because it's a flight to another country, yeah. and they think that. Well, it's not should... like we. I ate it anyway, so. No, it was I like mean, a sandwich for. It yeah, was. It, it was technically gross. a snack. Yeah. So people got sandwiches. They gave me an apple. I was like, Nah, I'm all right. I don't yeah. need an apple. I'll eat a bag of peanuts. Yeah, I mean the thing that I am concerned about is the. Well, what I think is interesting is because we have TSA pre-check. That is really the most valuable thing because then you go through security really quickly. And to me, that's what... And that's kind of independent of any airline. Yeah, and that's great. What I get concerned about is that more and more people are going to get it, which they want. And yeah. then eventually it's not going to be faster to go through TSA Pre. Because, yes, you don't need to do as much. Well, you don't need to take lanes. your shoes off, but... A little bit more lanes for it. Um, but they made me take my boots out. The other thing is, like, I just find getting um, the, even when you have priority, like getting on boarding the plane is still annoying. I don't. Well, know. and you don't even need to have loyalty for that. You just get the credit card or whatever. Yeah. So, although I will say, both times I flew on Delta this week, there's so many people with suit rollerboard suitcases that if I weren't one of the first people aboard, there's no way in hell my my bag would have been up there. So. Yeah, yeah. You like your right. suitcase? I do. Well, I was thinking about getting uh, a carry-on roller bag, which is something that I've even like two months ago. If you had told me that, I would have punched myself. But I because I have been carrying this backpack, this Tovo Designs backpack suitcase for a while. Yeah, which I really love. But um, it. You know, if you if you really cram it full of stuff, it is pretty heavy. And if you're walking down a street with a heavy back on and like a suit jacket, it's not super. It doesn't feel very good. I think like I would have been happier with a rolly bag, even though I have I have the rolly bag. I have the Muji, which I yeah. love. Huge fan of the Muji. Yeah, but really I only great. have it for like too big to carry on because yeah. I try to only. I try to either just bring a really small carry-on bag, mm -hmm. which I use a backpack for, or actually I have this Topo Designs carry-on size backpack luggage, which is the maximum yeah. legal carry-on size, basically. Um, or if I'm going to check a bag, I'm going to check a I'm going to check a real bag. Yeah, it's not actually my roll-on bag is not super big. But. No, it's actually not very efficient in terms of the space. I you also bought me one, and I never use it. Yeah, I was destroyed by an airline. Um, so what do you think of these um, luggage companies trying to disrupt oh, that Warby, industry? The Warby Parker of luggage? Away? Yeah. There's Away, and then there's also this one, Raiden, that has some like a chip to track your luggage in case it gets lost, yada, yada, yada. I think that the product itself is fine. It's like... Not great. It's it's about the same as the Muji ones. Yeah, it's probably more. It's the, I think they're more expensive. Um, I don't know how durable they are. Like I've had those Muji bags now for three or four years. The wheels are still there. You've had yours for longer. The yeah. wheels still work. The zippers haven't broken. I love my Muji. They're fantastic. Bag. My carry on one is my Rolly carry on Muji is so good. Yeah, but Muji has basically completely. Um, been mediocre at e-commerce 
in America, especially like you, for a long time, the spring, they're just, their e-commerce site just didn't exist. Like yeah. they took it, they took it down. So I would say something like a way, even though their investors like, Oh, it's a lifestyle brand. You know, imagine what else they'll be able to, um, yeah, I mean, it's whatever, a good name. So, oh, it's fine. I mean, whatever. Uh, I'd say it's more of a bet on the direct-to-consumer e-commerce model than anything else. Yeah, like, but if th- they had to rely on being but, sold where other luggage was sold, forget it. It's not going to work. You but, know what that problem with that model is? That model is just as expensive as having wholesale or having a brick-and-mortar store. Like, to actually acquire customers online is insanely expensive now. So I it's easier to get up off the ground but to keep it going is just as hard and yeah, that but the is the whole something... point is it's easier to get off the ground and then they think oh well we're also a media company yeah. we'll we'll hook people with our newsletter they'll they'll become part of our skim life or whatever and yeah, then they'll yeah, buy yeah. all kinds of stuff from us well i don't know we'll see i i and to me that there's there's stupid shit too like they have a battery charger built in which to me a, I, I don't need any more battery chargers. Yeah. Maybe other people do. And B, if I have to check that bag, then I have to take that battery out. Cause you Are can't you put... sure that they have how it works? Do you know how it works? Wouldn't they have thought about that? Yeah, I'm sure it's removable. You have yeah. to take your lithium-ion battery out of check luggage. So otherwise the, the plane can catch on fire and crash. Yeah, which that's is how, scary. Which is how planes crash. Um, Great. Yeah. So I don't know. It's fine. I, they're more expensive. And I just think Muji does a really good job. Yeah. I wish more people knew about Muji. Well, why do you think Japanese brands have such a hard time expanding in the U.S. in a way that a seamless way when it comes to customer service? Because I had this experience. I ordered a jacket from Uniqlo, which, you know what? I just realized I never went and picked it up because they never sent me an alert. Did you pay for it? Yeah. It was 50 bucks. I got I got a, a blazer on sale that was originally like 90 for 50 bucks. I ordered it and I did in-store pickup because I was like, well, I don't want to pay. So I ordered one and had it sent to the house, but it was seven extra dollars for shipping for first of all, no big no Uniqlo is a what a billion dollar, at least a few billion dollars in in re- annual revenue. They would they have to charge me Seven dollars? That is not okay. Like, no, there should be free for shipping. In-store pickup? No, for shipping. Oh. So I, I had one sent to the house last week, and I got it. it was huge on me. It didn't fit, so I returned it at the store. So I figured, well, I looked online. It said it had they had the blazer in the size I needed in the store. So I thought, oh well, I'll do in-store pickup. So I ordered it reordered it in a different size and I was like when I drop off this other one at least I'll ensure that I'll get it because that means because what if I waited a few days to return the the large and the medium was sold out already so I saw that the medium they had a medium on sale in the Soho store at that moment so I bought one online and did in-store pickup so I got to the store to return the the large they're like great but your your order online order that you wanted to do in store pickup hasn't arrived in the store yet hmm. so you have to come back and i was like well basically their inventory they were they were shipping 
a blazer from the warehouse to the store because their inventory in store and in the warehouse is not connected. And the the crazy thing was the salesperson, because I said, well, it's the, you have the product in the store. And she said, oh, I can't see that. I can't see what you ordered. I just see that you have an order coming. <laughs> and it was just so inefficient and so annoying. I think, oh, I think some of it has to do with the density in Japan. And it's a different situation than here. I mean, but I think a lot of it is just that they're really bad at software, which they always have been. The same reason that Sony got its ass kicked by, by Apple, and the same reason that all the other big Japanese. Oh, it's really companies. frustrating. It's the same and reason that Google was not invented in Japan. Yeah, yeah. It's just extremely frustrating. I mean, I'm not saying most American brands aren't much better. That you know, the people that do, quote unquote, omni-channel, the are the best are the British, and I think that's because the UK is a really small country. And it's just easier to do all that stuff because you don't like there aren't you're not shipping from all these crazy places. Yeah. Um, but and also the UK customer is pretty savvy and they, it, you know, click and ship or click and pick up or whatever. It's easy for them because everyone lives near a top shop. So you can just walk to the top shop from work or, you know, everyone lives near a high street in the UK where it's not like that in the US or or Japan or whatever. But it was a really frustrating experience. And it just makes me think like Muji is so good. There's so much stuff. It should be as big as Ikea in terms of, you know, it should be able to get to the point that Ikea is here. Like that crucial or that um, important to you know, most customers. Yeah. I wonder what their plans are. I mean, the stores are fine. Although I've had inventory problems there too, a lot of times, but yeah, but it just feels like they could e-commerce has been awful historically in terms of brand equity in the U S I feel like they could be on the same level as Ikea. I mean, we shop there way more than we shop at Ikea and buy more stuff. And I feel like we would buy even more. Yeah. It was, I, you know, but like that's the opportunity. A, a luggage brand is not. First of all, you know, a luggage brand is not going to sit around and. I mean, if anything, that's an opportunity because Muji. You can basically copy the Muji suitcase, or one like it. Yeah. Know that this big company is moving too slowly. Yeah. And then jump all yeah. over it. But I don't know how well they're doing. We'll find out. Yeah. I'm sure they'll raise another round of funding and then we'll have to figure it out. Away. But, yeah. I don't. Did it even ever get delivered? I think so. So the idea was that you buy it and then you would get it in a few months. Oh. I actually don't. I haven't heard of anyone. This other one, Raiden, which was designed by this guy who does sets for like Jay-Z and and Kanye, that got a ton of buzz. And that one looks really good. It kind of looks like those Remova or Remoa, which, by the way, some of them are 475, but most of them are... 1100 Oh, so we're not getting those? Well, they have them for 500 I just don't... I'm assuming that's plastic, and the other yeah. ones are... You, if you're going to get that, you got to get metal one. Oh, air, though. Mm. It it does look nice, but I don't know. I mean, I like my Muji. I'm happy with my yeah. Muji. And it looks nice. Muji like is completely, enough. Muji is really enough. <laughs> um, that's their... That's like this presentation, one of their... Uh, designers gave recently. Look it up. Muji is enough. It's very, uh, it's dry and exactly the kind of thing I would watch on a Friday night. 
Okay. Cool. It, it looks like you can you can buy the the carry-on. It meets all airline standards. Great. So do I. Most of the time. Oh yeah. Cool. Oh, it's a high capacity battery with USB charging. Sweet. It is nice looking. It kind of looks like the Remova. Is it, I would assume it's Remova, not Remoa, right? I don't know. Okay. It's German, right? I don't know. It's expensive. That's what it is. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a moderately successful redo of a show oh, that we did. We're not going to talk about the the Apple Watch situation. Oh yeah, let's talk about the Apple Watch again. This is how so, we accidentally closed the last one. So it's now been a year. Since the Apple Watch came so out. The reason I mentioned the Apple Watch was that I just read a headline that like Apple Watch sales have been plummeting in the last quarter. Yeah, I'm sure they're not great. I mean, it's it's it, I'm sure they're they're priced steady but modest right now. They're oh, they keep adding what? new bands. The You know what? Two two headlines. One from Fortune. Apple Watch sales have plummeted, analyst says. However, Apple has kept its watch sales quiet. And then the journal from five um, from five hours ago, Apple's watch out, outpaced the iPhone in first year. Yeah, exactly. Is that so journalism? That's what that is. That's journalism. Well, I mean, they can both be true. The I Yeah. It's one thing Apple to outsell. Apple Watch sales expected to fall by fifty percent. It's one thing to outsell the iPhone in, in its first year in a world where there was no iPhone, but there is an iPhone. So, whatever. Yeah. I mean, the the real question is now: what where do they take it? Like, my I, I still wear mine every day. You do too. Um, my main complaint continues to be that. I haven't added any new tasks to it. I'm still using it for exactly the same things that I was a year ago, which are the time, which has actually been surprisingly convenient. Yeah. Because I hadn't worn a watch in like 15 years. Weather, Apple Pay, notifications, which I mostly turn off because I hate notifications, um, and fitness tracking. Pretty much everything else, like the, the whole app thing has been a huge disaster no one uses apps. The apps are too slow. They're garbage. They they're too complicated. They're and they're just too slow. Siri never works. Uh, every time I try to do a demo where I say, "Hey Siri," it never does anything. Although now, well, didn't even do it that time. The last time we did this recording, and this will be the last time I say that, Siri started transcribing everything I was saying. But this time, it, that it didn't even kick in. Um, so my thing with the Apple Watch, as I've said to you before, that I do think is really... I mean, I use it for the steps for more than... I mean, I use it a lot for a lot of things, like the standard things. But the reason I, I am so happy I have it and the reason I think... I just don't think I'll ever go without a tracker again. A fit, like, not even just fitness, just a tracker. Like tracking my steps, tracking that I can see the weather. I can see. I think that for the rest of my life, life I'll have a tracker on my body, not the phone because I don't have my phone all the time. 
something on my body always tracking my steps that I check regularly throughout the day. Because I was saying to a friend on Friday, two friends I, I had dinner with who both have used the Apple Watch but don't. They, you know, they had a review unit because they're both editors. And they're like, oh, I keep think wanting to wear it. And the thing I said was, I always get to 10,000 steps. I don't remember the last time that I didn't, even days that I was, I'm flying a lot, that I don't get to 10,000 steps. And that's not as easy as you think. Like for us, if you work in Manhattan, if you like commute by subway in New York City, it's pretty easy, but I don't. And a lot of people don't. And a lot of people take cabs everywhere. So if you drive a lot, it's really easy not to hit 10,000 steps. And I am doing that every single day. And I think that that's super valuable. And I, no matter what, I want to have something that's tracking that and that I'm checking on, on yeah. day to day. Um, and so that is to me the most interesting thing that it's changed my idea about. And someone else said to me, I had on like, I was t- telling someone else this last weekend, I had on like a chunky silver bracelet. And they said, well, wouldn't you rather it be in the bracelet? It all say that in the bracelet. And of course not, because you want the tracker to actually be something that isn't super fashiony or right. pretty. You want it to be really utilitarian because you don't want to be thinking about it all the time. Mm. Um, and with, with anything that's style related. And I know that you say the bands have done really, really well, and I'm sure that that's true, but yeah, I, I would still, say that the interchangeable bands have been one of the smartest things they did. But the thing is, I still think that this is a product that you shouldn't think about the way it looks like you shouldn't have to think about the way it looks. Yeah. Well, and the, which is, yeah, I'm sure the best-selling of, band is was white and black. But so. that, and that kind of goes back to the initial conversation about um, San Francisco and and Silicon Valley style and this idea of like wearing a uniform. And you know, Steve Jobs was not a fashion plate. He wore the, that. You know, people would hit that black turtleneck dad jeans and those New Balance every single day, but. I happen to really like those New Balance, but um, but Me that too. I have like three pairs. But that turtleneck was, you know, Issey Miyake or Armani or or whatever he was wearing. It wasn't. It was still a really good product, and that's what the watch to me should do. Is kind of like be good looking enough, but kind of disappear and and not be something that. You have right, to so think this, about day to day. the watch was also supposed to be Apple's big entree into fashion, and they did those luxury models, and they did a bunch of like more fashion-focused bands. Were the, what do you think of those? Are those a hit or a miss? Uh, I don't know. You mean like Hermes, the Hermes Apple Watch? No, I mean just like even like the red leather ones. Like I never see anyone really using those. No. I don't know if they have. I mean, the luxury, like the ten thousand dollar watches. Those, I don't think. uh, I I think that those accomplished what they were. That like Johnny I was like, look, I can make yeah a a gold computer, but you never see anyone with those. Well, the the really interesting thing is, so the Met Ball is next week, which is like the it's the the Met Museum here in New York. It's their Costume Institute Ball, and Apple is sponsoring it. 
And the interesting thing is to do to get that sponsorship, and maybe it's different now, but the waiting list is like four or five years. So they've been thinking about this. It's definitely been at least three years since they, they signed on to do this. So they've been thinking about this long before the Apple Watch came out. Um, it It's interesting to me. I don't know. I mean, the other thing is like maybe people who wear wear them in different cities are really into the colored. It might be that like the people that we know are a specific kind of person. So they are going to be more into the black or, you know, who's where, who's buying the pink iPhones, like a specific group of people are no one we know, you know, but people are buying them. Right. I see people with them. I, I never see that mm. crap, but, right. but I just think that like, to me, a more successful product is a product that, especially right now in the way people buy luxury goods and what they want, they either want something that's like completely one of a kind or they want something that's really understated. And that's yeah. always sort of the case, but especially right now because people aren't spending with abandon. So they're really thinking about what they're buying. And I just think that like, to me, that's. But the then, more why th- even have an Apple Watch? Why not just have a, a, a band like a Fitbit or something like that? Well, th- because that's ugly. <laughs> All right. Like the Apple Watch is decent looking. It's the best looking thing. Yeah, better than this Motorola. Yeah, yeah, that thing is terrible. I mean, that looks so heavy too. Can I feel it? What is this one called? It's actually not that heavy. Three sixty. It looks like a fake thing. <laughs> it doesn't look real. Yeah. But it's cool. like crappy brown leather. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But I I just think I'm not, I don't necessarily think that Apple should have done things differently in terms of design or offering a lot of um, bands. I think they should have marketed it differently. I think that whole idea of like it being the most personal item and that you can like personalize and personalization is like a huge thing in luxury. I actually don't think that that's what people want from Apple. I think they want Apple to tell them what they want. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. But. Well, they also say a lot of people switch out their bands a lot. So uh-huh. I don't know. I don't believe that. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I said that loud enough. I don't, I don't believe that. Well, this has been an interesting redo. Yeah, I we, hope it was okay. There was some overlap with what we started with. Um, anyway, we'll do another show soon. Yeah. It'll be hopefully well, the mic won't screw up that time. No. Uh, if you have topics for us or guest suggestions or just want to get in touch, send us an email at hello at the needle and the mouse.com or you can find us on Twitter at needle and mouse. Uh, thanks as always to Alan Lawrence for the background music. Thanks, Alan. If you like the show, subscribe in iTunes or rate the show or review it or whatever. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in. See ya.